This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, LS Pod fans. It's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parkin or Austin, sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off could be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com hello and welcome to the Love strangers a swindon town fan podcast with me rich pullen proudly sponsored by the stfc official supporters club rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside beautiful play that is that Hello and welcome to the Low Strangers podcast. Thanks, as always, for listening. My guest for this episode is Giuliano Grazioli. Graz started his career within non-league, but soon moved into professional football with Peterborough United in the mid-90s. But it was in the late 90s where Graz became something of a household name. Stevenage Borough, then of the conference, enjoyed an FA Cup run, which ended in a replay against then the very good Newcastle United. But the good people of Swindon will remember that Cup run slightly differently because, of course, in the previous rounds, they beat Swindon Town, then of the Championship 2-1 at the county ground. Gratz scoring on a windy, windy January in 1998 but a year later he joined Swindon and stayed with Swindon till 2002. His career was blighted by injuries unfortunately but as we all know that was a period of such uncertainty for Swindon and he was one of the shining lights of a really difficult time. It was a great shame that he only played 78 times in the league scoring 18 goals because he had the potential to do so much more. He left Swindon for Bristol Rovers in 2002, but moved on a year later to Barnet, where he became something of a legend. He moved into coaching and scouting, predominantly under Martin Allen, before leaving football altogether. I consider Giuliano something of a cult hero with Swindon, because he was really quite popular and 
really deserved more luck, I would say, during his Swindon career. And maybe luck's not the right word, but needless to say, I really enjoyed listening to Graz's story, his experiences, his career, and I really hope that you do too. Anyway, it's time to sound the hooter for the Live Strangers podcast. Enjoy. Good evening. How are you? I am very well. Thank you very much for taking part in this. No problem at all. Well, we've got loads to talk about. You've listened to a few of the episodes, so you know the order. Question one, who was your favourite club as a kid and who were your childhood heroes? I was brought up from North London, so there was only going to be one club, which was Arsenal. Um, my dad took me to uh, many a game. When I was a child, I think my first ever game was Juventus in, the, uh, in one of the UEFA Cup games, I think it was, at Highbury. Um, so yeah, I've always been brought up as a as a big Arsenal fan, uh, and as players growing up, I always wanted to be Paolo Rossi. Going back for many a year now, so uh, yeah, Paolo Rossi's, and and as the years went on, the mark of ambassadors of this world, you know, Gary Lineker's proper goalscorers. Absolutely, Highbury was one of the best grounds that I visited as a kid. I would say, or just generally, it was really tucked in away, wasn't it? Um, it was. It was. It's in between the houses, wasn't it? Yeah. At the time, so the probably old stadium made lots of noise and unfortunately I don't think Arsenal have ever rekindled that atmosphere at the New Emirates no. uh, well New Emirates should say so it's old now but um, I think the atmosphere is, is definitely lost and I think a lot of these new stadiums have lost that, that atmosphere although Tottenham's new one is something a little bit special which breaks my heart to say <laughs> Uh, tribalism yeah that's right <laughs> okay so what were your early memories of playing football when you were younger, I was my, my, my parents even now because I've got three young children who are all football mad. When they're kicking the ball about in the living room, I'm forever saying, "Sit down, you know, put the ball away, not in the house." And if my parents say, "You did it," that's all you did all day. <laughs> so I remember just kicking, you know, balls up against the walls all the time. And my earliest memory was using the the, the dining room table as a goal. Using one of my sister's dolls as a goalie and just throwing the ball against the wall and hitting volleys and different finishes inside the dining room table. So yeah, football was all I had. I didn't. I wasn't. Uh, well, I was an avid Star Wars fan and had all the Star Wars figures and all the remote control cars, gay electric. You know, I'm going back now. <laughs> the only thing I ever really played with was, was a football. You know, a sponge ball in a house. That's all I did. I remember when I was a kid going around my uh, my grands in Yatton Kennel, just not many miles away from Swindon. She had a, an empty vase in her in her living room, which I used to pretend was the UEFA Cup. <laughs> and just kicking the, yeah. the, like one of those foam balls about yeah. and then celebrating with, with my nan's vase so I can completely relate to that. Playing-wise, um, were you one of those kids that scored 100 goals in 12 games or... Uh, did you play much organised football? Yeah, no, no. I was always um, school teams, and especially like in the school playground. Yeah, playing, we'd always score loads of goals. We always get one child who used to run with the ball. We'd play Wembley, and I'd run the whole length of the pitch with the ball, dribbling. What, what are you doing? <laughs> I was just dull hang like I did for most of my career, uh, and take it off him when it mattered at the end and scored. But yeah, you know, play for school teams. Always had that knack for for scoring goals. Not really a great footballer but just knew where to be at the right time well wikipedia can and the internet can can be quite unreliable at times um so 
this your non-league career is where you start within the London non-league game and you know Wikipedia says Wembley is that is that is that where it started for you or were there other clubs no, before that no no that was that was probably my, my senior start to non-league football I was right. um I played for a very successful Sunday league side from the age of under 11 right through to under 16. Uh, a lot of the players went on to play professional football. Danny Granville at Chelsea. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a few other boys played like League One, League Two. And I was a late developer. So at the age of sort of 15, 16, all these players were big, strong, athletic straight away. Whereas I took a little bit of time to develop. And from that age, under 17, it was the old apprenticeship days. Players went off to do apprenticeships. And I was probably one of probably three or four that didn't make it to that sort of club. So I went down a non-league route, and was, my father's secretary was a sort of a, on the board for Wembley Football Club at the time. And they said they had a, an under-17 team. And I remember turning up for a trial, and it went really well. I scored a couple of goals against a men's team, and I think that season I ended up scoring, I think, 75 goals that year and got put into the, the reserves for Wembley Football Club, non-league football. So Saturday afternoon, after playing for the school, in the morning I'd go and play in the afternoon for the men's team in the reserves and then from there I started getting into the first team started getting paid for playing and at that time I was at university as well and I remember people you know a lot of people pulling me off the game saying oh you know so and so's here to look at you today you know Chelsea here today QPR are here today watching you and I didn't think nothing of it the club put me on the contract and remember this is non-league when this was Ryman Division 1 at the time so not not a great standard. Yeah, it was it was exciting. And uh, I remember getting a phone call to say, you know, Pete reunited, weren't you? I think John Steele was the manager at the time. Wanted to sign uh, non-league players, and I was one of them he wanted. Uh, and that was it. You know, my, my dream was going to come true, which unfortunately didn't go for on too long because it took six for me to sign for the club because there was a, a contract dispute. Uh, there was an option on the contract apparently um, so I, got, I, had to go to court, I had to go to the FA and I had to get a barrister involved uh, it was legal proceedings so my actual start to professional football didn't start for uh, six months after I signed my contract it's 3-0 and it's Alan Reeves You're not the first person to say that about, you know, dreams being jeopardised because of contracts. I was talking to Jordan Stewart, who uh, joined us from uh, from Northern Ireland, and he had a little bit of a yep. bit of troubles getting over to to England. And I mean, you just think about it from from a fan's perspective. It's like Wembley to Peterborough. You think they just, you know, go go. Go and be a professional, but they really do dig their heels in, don't they? And that's understandable. They, they did. My um, they they took Peterborough United to call for an illegal approach, and they questioned the fact that my contract had an option involved. And all I remember, because back then there was no sort of agents involved, I was told that it was just literally a year's contract, and that was it to play on a Saturday. You need to sign this document because you know otherwise you can't get paid. Very much, you know, I was eighteen at the time, nineteen. So I remember signing it, and then. I remember coming home elated, knowing that I'm going to Peterborough. Deal agreed. You know, I'll start in the. This was in the May, so I'll start pre-season. And I remember getting that letter through the post, stating that um, I'm due at the FA in two months' time to go through uh, legal proceedings. Please come with a barrister. I thought, what's what's going on here? So you know, I spoke to obviously John Steele. He said, "Yeah, legal approach, but." 
we think you're fine because if, if they're going to pull an option on you, you need to have received an engagement letter by, I think it was the second week in May, something like that. And I hadn't received nothing. Wembley were adamant they sent me something, but there was no proof of post. There was nothing. But it took six months before it, I actually got the all clear. I wasn't allowed to train with anyone. I wasn't allowed to sign with anyone. I was kept in limbo. So from being elated and, you know, a dream of being a professional footballer, which is all we wanted, to actually, this may never happen. You know, what happens if it doesn't go ahead if I lose the case? Yeah. So that was a tough, tough time for me at the time. Really, really tough. Um, fortunately, people United at the time were fantastic. John Steele was stacked by, you know, on the phone once a week at least. Saying, don't worry about it, you know, we're going to back you. You know, what you hear, we've done nothing wrong, you've done nothing wrong. Um, just bear with it. So although it was difficult, I, they, kept, they kept to their word. Yeah. I must say, they, they did keep to their word. And luckily it was October, I think October the 16th, I actually signed properly and had my first training session. Fantastic. It is John Steele, of course, who is uh, your first manager, who's fairly known more or less for being a non-league, one of the best non-league managers of his generation. You start out, through my research anyway, you start out uh, playing in the reserves, you're scoring a lot, but you're sent out to Yeovil in, in around 95, is that right? Yeah, what it, what it was, I signed properly on the Tuesday. I remember it was Tuesday morning. And on the Saturday, the man who signed me, John Steele, resigned yeah. the following Saturday. So it was a bit like, oh, okay. And I remember him pulled into the office on the Saturday morning and the man at the time was a Mickey House or caretaker manager. Yeah. You know, a real lovely guy, great coach. Um, and he pulled me in to say, you know, they're not having this conversation, Gretz, but, you know, I know very little of you. You know, never watched you play. John spoke very highly of you. But my sort of knowledge of non-league football, you know, I never went to games at Wembley. He was brutally honest. He said, so you're not up to scratch fitness-wise because you've obviously not trained or, or been at that level for, for too long. So I'm going to send you out on loan. And again, back then, I just presumed you had to go wherever they sent you. There was no, you know, ifs or buts, you're going. Yeah. Um, and it was Yeovil Town. It was Graham Roberts' manager. There was great centre forward war on Pat Moore, one of the best I've played with, and it was one of the best low moves I've ever had. It was fantastic. You tore it up, as he would say. I tore it. I wouldn't say it was just a, a team at the time that created so many chances for me. It was very much the big man, little man up front, and Warren was was excellent to play with, and it just worked. It just worked, and I scored I think, fifteen in thirteen games, something silly. It was a ridiculous amount, and he got to the point where. It was going to become permanent. Oh. There was lots of clubs watching me again. I remember we Graham tried to sign me, tried to do a deal. Uh, and I think Peter were a bit reluctant because here's his player we've just signed. We've sent him out on loan. He's bagged loads of goals. and Everyone's talking about him and we're going to let him go straight away. So it was not really going to happen, uh, which was a shame really because I had a great time there. Then I went to Enfield towards the end of that season and scored, scored a few goals there. And then I got pulled back straight away by Mickey Household to say, right, I think you're ready for first-team football. And this is the interesting thing. This is where the link with Swindon started. Oh, I've got that on my notes. Don't you worry about that, your full debut. My actual debut, my coming on a sub, was on my 21st birthday at the county ground. <laughs> Mick got beat 2-1 and had a chance right at the end of the game, put it wide of the post. Oh, I'm so sad for you, but... <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. That was weird how Swindon has been, has, uh, there's been some sort of link 
throughout my career and that was the, the very first time we are everywhere there's loads of links from that game loads and loads and loads <laughs> so um, um as you quite rightly point out your debuts against swindon at the county grounds wayne allison and peter fawn um scoring in a 2-0 win uh, you get your 20 minutes yeah. alongside future swindon player steve robinson and former swindon player john sheffield this is the sort of stuff i yeah. love yeah up front that day for Peterborough, the person that you replaced? Lee Power. Lee Power, the current owner of Swindon Town Football Club. Isn't that something? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he was great, he was. Yeah, that, well, that's the question. What, what was Lee like back in the day? Did you think he would become a, a, a businessman after career? Oh, a businessman, yeah. Never think he'd be involved in football, if yeah. I'm really honest. But I'll tell you what, as a player, I probably saw him probably at the end of really of his career. You know, he was, he was highly thought of when he was at Norwich and, you know, teams like that but every now and then he would show glimpses of why he was the player people spoke about all those years ago great great lad in the change rooms one of the funniest men I've met in football a real real character you know we talk about characters in the game he was a character very much so he's not known for for that in fact I mean if he if he was listening to this or the club was listening to this I don't think it would be unfair to say that he's got like a quite a bit of distrust to sort of the outer world doesn't he yeah. he's, he's very quiet and you know whether or not that's the right decision there's definitely been a downside to that communications wise but to hear that he was quite a character is is, is something he was a very funny very funny man to be around you know stories and you know because you know his career as a player he played it in the San Siro didn't he by Munich you know that famous Norwich team yeah done ever so well it was he was part of that so for me remember I've, I've come from non-league football you know Wembley you know Ryman Division 1 so it wasn't even sort of conference football it was even lower than that and then I'm, I'm, I'm in a change room with the likes of Lee Power head of a character I mean I, I, I had good fun good fun hearing the stories well speaking of characters your next manager at Peterborough is Barry Fry oh yeah I remember that summer I was away on holiday with, with my girlfriend at the time back then there was no mobiles it was, you know, you rang from the telephone box or one of them cards that you, you bought from the shops. And I remember ringing, you know, my parents to say, yeah, I'm all okay. It's been a few days since we spoke, but all good. Because, oh, bit of news for you. You've got a new manager. Who's that then? You've got a new manager and a chairman and <laughs> everything. Barry Fry. I went, oh, you know, great. That'd be interesting. And I remember the first day of pre-season, Barry knew everybody apart from the players that were in the squad. I think we had about 100 people turn up for trials. So many trials. All these old Birmingham players, South End players, old Barnet players were all there. And he knew all those by first names and nicknames. But the actual squad, he didn't know. He called us, well done, well done, number nine. He'll go, well done, number four. He didn't know our name at all. But you know what? Barry, for me, people moan about him, but he did something for me in my career that I would never forget. I, was on the, I went to Woking on loan and had a, had a spell there on the front. I think I scored six goals in four games and they wanted to sign me and this got really close to me going. He, um, I had to play in the game. Cambridge United away was on Tuesday night because the Woking board wanted one last chance to see me. They're going to spend something like £80,000 on me so they wanted to see one last time and I got injured after 10 minutes yeah. and I broke my foot and I was out for 14 months. And I remember Barry pulling, and I was told I might never play football again because the fracture was so in an awkward position that it might not heal. And I remember Barry pulling me to his office uh, one afternoon after physio to say, you know, Gratz, you should never have played in that game. You know, you, uh, you even said you didn't want to play in it. Why should I play? 
and I made you play and it's my fault and he offered me a new two year deal wow. double my money and he didn't have to mm. you know a lot of clubs now wouldn't have done that but he did that he, he, he felt responsible for making me play in that game that I got injured in so I'll never forget that moment of that gesture you know Barry's not known for that sort of stuff Barry's known for this you know flamboyant character you know messing around but that was a moment that I would never ever forget to do that to someone who may never play again. That's amazing, isn't it? Maybe his experiences of pro might have uh, might have helped because obviously he was a, Probably, a, yeah. a Busby babe, wasn't he? And he didn't quite make it. That's and, right. He was, yeah. And he dipped down. Um, you're what a year and a half into your professional career, and it's it's quite bumpy, isn't it? I, I suffer with depression now, um, and a lot of this is probably from my career I've never had a career that was you know middle of the road it was either so many highs or lows with injuries and you know not playing and I do feel a lot of that my my issues now stem from that career that I had yeah and and now which is why I'm I'm, I'm, I act as a, a football agent just to advise the kids now and players going through you know it's such a difficult industry all we hear about is, is the, how great it is, the money they're earning. You know, we didn't have that money back then. No. But some of the moments in your life and and and, and downs that, that you go through, it's, it's difficult. And if you're not strong enough, it, it does affect you. And then I'll, I'll hold my hands up and openly say that it, it, it did. But yeah. back then, you know, I didn't do nothing about it. It's affected me 20 years on. Is it kind of like a, like a post-traumatic stress sort of element, do you think? Totally. Yeah, definitely. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Because, you know, my depression's hit me now and I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life. Yeah. Family, work, everything. And you think, why am I like this? So it's stuff that's gone on in the past that has, that's obviously didn't come out then because there's a bit of a bravado. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, it's coming out now. So, but yeah, yeah. as for Barry, he he was great for me. I liked him because he was honest. You know, if you were bad, he told you you were bad and you knew you weren't going to play the next game because he ripped you to bits. But if you played well, he told you. And that's what you want as a player. You just want some honesty, not some of these managers who I'd worked with that said, well done today and then you're not playing the next game. Yeah. Tell, tell me straight. Just no, we're bigger. Tell us straight. Why aren't we playing? And I don't think enough managers do that now today. I think they hide. You think they use the agents and things like that to sort of delegate, yeah? And I get players saying to me, can you, call my, can you call my manager up? And I'll say, no, we have to show some, you know, cojones and pull him yourself yeah. and tell him that you're not happy. Why are you going to rely on me? Yeah. You know, manager prefers to hear it from you first. Well, they don't want to speak to us. They don't like us anyway. Some age, some some managers, you know, pull them. And that's one thing I'd say. Like, I'd always pull my manager. And then they'd, they'd lie to your face there and then you're not playing next week. And it, it's a, it's a tough, tough industry. It's Fair a enough. tough, although it's great, yeah, but it is tough. It's a tough life of being a footballer, especially if you're not earning the money like you're seeing some of these players now. You know, if League One, League Two, yeah, some some teams pay good money, but you, you know, if you're not, it's it's a job, and if you're not playing week in week out and you're not getting your bonuses, it's it's a, it's difficult. It's well, difficult. Yeah, I mean, I watched a lot of non-league football in the '90s in the Western League and Southern League and yeah. things like that, and I, I definitely remember my dad pointing out and see and just saying, "See him. He had a he had a contract offer by X Y Z, but he turned it down because he's in the civil service and he's on. He's got a bet. He's got more money than." I played with players in non-league football 
that were better than some of the league players I played with. Mm. And the only reason why they didn't come into the league is because they were probably earning more money with their job. And and you got to think back then, non-league football was just a Tuesday night, Thursday night training. Yeah. You know, now some of the league clubs are full-time. You know, most of the most of them in the conference now are full-time. Football's changed. But back then, you know, Warren Patmore, who I was at the Oval with, I think he was earning ridiculous money at his job. And and he was he was he scored thirty goals a season in the conference, Warren. And I know Lee Clubs always wanted him. Always wanted him. Yeah, people couldn't afford him because the money he'd want playing and the work money, he wouldn't. You couldn't do it. Even though he's worth it, he was he was fantastic. He was but I think he did it once. I think he went turn pro once at Rushton and Diamonds when Rushton had lots of money under Brian Talbot. And he didn't work out and he went back to doing his job. There's lots of players like that. There's lots of players in, in non-league football that were good enough to play in the league, for sure. Goodwin loses out. He's onside. And this time it's five. And this time, Eric Seven doesn't miss. Looking at your career, you, you, you certainly played with some some characters, especially in your loan spell. So we've, we've mentioned Graham Roberts, you, had, you know, brief conversations with John Still before he left, Barry Fry, obviously, and Jeff Chappell at Woking, who was, you know, long servant for them. And then 1998, you played under Paul Fairclough as well, at Stevenage Borough, as they were known back then. And this is where things go crazy. And I wonder whether... The highs that you experienced at Stevenage sort of contribute to where where you are in your later year because you you have that sort of rough start with your injuries and then suddenly you are propelled into the limelight nationally through that FA Cup run. I'll go back just a little bit because mm-hmm. when I was at Peterborough, um, I wasn't in the squad because I was just come back from the fourteen month injury. And if you weren't in the squad, you went upstairs into sort of the bar area before the game started. And I remember myself and a, a player called Derek Payne were uh, in the bar area and a woman selling raffle tickets walked past us and, and stopped us. And, and I remember this so vividly. She went, um, you, uh, you're, uh, you're an Aries, aren't you? Pardon? You know, it's a funny question to ask. You're Aries? I went, yeah. March? I said, well, yeah, from Aries, I'm either March or April. You know, it's not difficult. She went, no, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a psychic. I need to speak to you. What do you mean? She will give me your hand. And she said to me, you're, you're going to play for a big team in the higher leagues, but more importantly, you're going to be on the back pages of every newspaper. And I, and I laughed at her because at the time, I couldn't get into the Peter United team <laughs> who were struggling in League One. I thought, okay, yeah, okay. And she walked off. And I've never forgotten that, what she said to me. Because literally a few months later, I was on the back page of every newspaper. Boy. It was it's so surreal that I can see the woman now. I'd love to know who she was and what her name was because it, she was right. I was on every newspaper. I was on the back page of every newspaper. It was just an unbelievable six months of my life because it was only six months. Yeah. I was at Stephen just in the January. We played obviously Swindon in the round before mm. and the county ground, which was should never have been played. The weather was atrocious. Ooh, I was there. Yeah, I was there. Good goal by Walters, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, from about 20 minutes, wasn't it? Top yeah. corner from about 50 yards. I remember he cut inside me right foot. And it, uh, he, he was a player, by the way. Yeah. He was a player. And then it and then it was just 
biblical, wasn't it? The weather. It, I remember Fraser Digby couldn't kick the ball out of the air. I, I asked him this on an episode, and um, I asked him why he kept trying um, because it was just it was boomeranging, wasn't it? It, it was. It was ridiculous. It was. We noticed it, and you know, fair play to Paul Fedlow. We could really put the pressure on, mm. you know, because the ball just wasn't going anywhere, and we just had that momentum that day. And it's what you know, it's what the FA Cup's all about. It was always going to happen, you know. It was always, always going to happen, and that was the second time. Obviously, Swindon was linked to my career, yeah. you know. And uh, the best best moment of that day, obviously, apart from the winning, was walking back into the dugout, into the tunnel, and I heard like my name being called Jidge, people from school call me Jidge and my three best friends had travelled all the way to Swindon to watch the game. I didn't know they were coming. They did it off their own back and I remember thinking, oh my, to me that was a fantastic thing knowing that my three best mates travelled all that way to watch me and probably at the time was my biggest game to play in and I remember straight after the game Paul rang me to say, me and you have got to go to the FA headquarters the following Sunday, the next day for the cup draw. Um, and I was going to get picked up at home by, you know, service and take take me to the to headquarters. We'll do the draw and they'll take you back home. That that was a start mayhem for my life. That was an unbelievable year. And even now, when even during my dream work, if I meet someone else, what my name is, as soon as I say my name, they link it to Stevenage. Yeah. And and that is it, isn't it? It's exactly what you said. It was only six months, and I think it, it ends before the replay against Newcastle, doesn't it? No, no, because I, I, I didn't play in the replay. I got injured got the week injured. before at Gates. Yeah. Um, and then I come back during played the last sort of few games. Okay. Okay. So nothing is more typical for Swindon. Swindon, traditionally, no money. We've got Stevenage, so that should be a nice passage into the next round. Um, one of those, uh, the wind pretty much puts the ball at your feet and and you score and then you go and do the cup draw and it's Newcastle United. Yep. That is the draw that Swindon needed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, unfortunately it would have been, yeah, definitely. <laughs> we, we could have done uh, with that. Yeah, and unfortunately, even when I was signed for Swindon, you know, financially it was never stable. Mm. It was a club that always struggled financially I remember signing for Swindon and getting paid by cheque two weeks late every month I thought I've just come from League 2 where I got paid every time on, on the dot I've come into the Championship I'm getting paid two weeks late by cheque so it's three weeks really by the time the cheque cleared yeah. I thought, well, have I made the right move yeah <laughs> you know it's crazy yeah. you know to be fair though I got paid every month in the end but it was late yeah. but you got paid but it's, it's always been a club that's always I don't know. Even now, you know, you hear things, bits, you know, bits and pieces. That club should be, you know, in a, in a different league than what they are now. Oh, I completely agree. But we're not going to let you leave Newcastle United just yet because um, this isn't Newcastle, the farce that we know of Newcastle today. This was the swashbuckling Newcastle United of the mid to late 90s who were really, really quite good and very, very well fancied and narrowly missed out on winning the Premier League and things like that. What I've always wanted to ask, really, anyone that's that's been in this sort of media circus is, from a fan's perspective, what we see is a build-up and they do all the patronising, stereotypical, um, He's a he's, he works as a civil servant, that guy's a builder, etc, etc. And it's really intense and then the game starts and then the game ends... And then it's over. 
what's it like having yeah. that sort of week of or two weeks of intensity and then silence? That game lasted a year in our lives yeah. and more. My life has lasted still to now. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm living off the back of it. But like you say, those two weeks leading up to it was incredible. Not always good. You know, you, you're being pulled to pillar to post by the media. Need you to do this, need you to do that. Um, and you had to do it because this, these things may never happen again. You know, a club like Stevenage, the, the, the rowing of is the ground safe? Kenny Douglas not wanting to play at the club. Um, we want to we want to check uh, move the fixture to St James's and I'll be open and honest as players we wanted it switched yeah. to St James's but Victor Green the chairman at the time was like no I want to I want it here yeah. and to be fair that decision proved right because he got obviously the funds for the home leg and then obviously by getting the draw we we, we got the replay but it was so much going on we were in the press every day. Every day there was something going on about what someone had done or what we're doing. Uh, I remember, I remember the Sun newspaper did a thing spread every day of a player, you know, doing their work. It was just, it was just a crazy, crazy time. You know, great being involved in it, but it was, it was crazy. It was ridiculous. We had a, a media day where we had cam, we had camera crew from like Indonesia and things like that being there the whole pitch was full of cameras and the media guys yeah. the whole football pitch Stephen is and we have to go around and talk to everybody when they do that now and this wasn't the case back in the 90s definitely but now when I watch like the FA Cup and the build-ups it feels forced would you would you say that's that's a fair statement it, in what way would you mean it feels, like, forced, it, it feels it forced it doesn't feel like it's like organically happening the excitement is kind of thrust upon us um you should be excited as opposed to we are excited it just feels like it's a bit more manufactured now that we're, we're told that this is the magic yeah i think i think i think the fa cup's changed massively over the years mm. i think the the whole competition i think it's great up until about the fourth or fifth round um when you still got some non-league clubs in it yeah and then as soon as they, that as soon as they go out, that's it. I think you lose the love for it. You know, I I miss that Saturday all day match of the day cup final. Yeah. Where you watch them getting on the having breakfast in the morning, getting on the coach. You'd sit in front of the TV all day, question of sport or Saint and Greaves, whoever it was, the celebrity match on the pitch beforehand. All that was to me that was the FA Cup. And you watched every minute of it. It was great. And I think a lot of that is, has been lost because I think the semi-final has been at Wembley. I think that's taken the, the you know the, the fun of being in the in the in the FA Cup final at Wembley Stadium. Yeah, you got semi-finals there now. Players are playing there. The whole thought of it back then was to play at Wembley, mm. and every, every game's played. I know we we need the, the the funds to pay for paying for it, but it's brought the love out of. And the excitement of it, if I'm honest. Yeah, I don't disagree with that, to be honest. I, I certainly do remember and very much enjoy the grandstand where they all dress up like James Bond, turn round and then somebody talks about them and things like that, and a helicopter following the bus to the ground. And... Yes, it was, but it was great, wasn't it? It, it was. was. You it was felt brilliant. involved in the game. Yeah. Coming out in their suits beforehand and then going, it was, oh, it was great times. And it's, it's definitely not the same now. And I think. I think they kick off at half past five now, don't they? Yeah, After yeah. The, the game, it's really, come on. 
that's for the internet. You know, money's audience. money's taken over this industry mm. massively. Very much so. So a year's worth of publicity and things like this, but it's a six month stint at Stevenage. Was there ever any chance of that going permanent, or were Peter Breden saw like? No, I um, part of the agreement was that I was always going to go back to Peterborough United. Yeah. I remember at the time I got um, I got a phone call from a big agent at the time who looked after Nicholas and Elker and Ian Wright and people like that, the big players. And I got a phone call to say, you're going to be the next Ian Wright non-league star to come out and go in the football league. We're going to get you this move, that move. And I'm thinking, I'm going back to Peterborough. It was a clause in the contract. You know, I was never, couldn't go anywhere. Something Barry had put in and it, you know, and it worked to his favour that time. Mm. And nothing ever materialised. There was a lot of clubs interested, but obviously I was tied to, United, so it, it, it just wasn't going to happen. Um, it's an agreement that I got an extra year to my contract because at the time, who's to say it was going to go well? Yeah. You know, we didn't know it was going to be, I didn't envisage what happened at all. Yeah. You know, I'd come this is the, the Stevenage loan thing only happened because I'd been out of football for 14 months, so it was just go and get some football yeah. to do this it, to, for this to happen was wow. So, so from being really low to the point of finishing your career, because you know I may never recover from the injury, to I'm on the back page of every newspaper. Yeah. That is that's both ends of the spectrum. So it, it, it was, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely something that's affected me now. Yeah. That 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 period of my time, period of my life. Did you did you spend your career sort of chasing that? that again or were you sort of content that you'd achieved that sort of that, that attention that sort of achievement or was was there a frustration of, of chasing it once again oh, yeah. it's an, I'm, I'm a centre forward who loves scoring goals yeah. that buzz is you crave that attention yeah. you know you crave your fans singing your name um, so wherever you are course you, you you want to be you want to play at the best the highest you can it's the, it was never about money for me it was always about i want to play at the, the top level or the top that i, I feel i can get to or I, I can get to i i was never good enough for the premiership never good enough and i know that and the fact that i played in the championship be it 15 games whatever it was i'm content because i know that was probably the, the the highest i could have ever got to yeah and so I, I was satisfied, but of course you always chase the dream. When you've had a taste of the accolade, who's not going to want that more and more? You know, I got I got sponsored by Mercedes that year after Stevenage. On the back of that, you know, it's really, you know, you know, three years before that, I was in university studying sports science. Now I'm getting sponsored by Mercedes for scoring one of one of probably the worst goals I've ever scored. <laughs> Head up, that I'm not renowned for heading from a corner. So. It's, it was so surreal. It yeah. was the, the things on the back of that goal. Well, you, as a as a child, you you never think. And cool, I wanted it again and again. You do. It's four one. Matt Hewlett defending was awful. Absolutely awful. You got more game time following season by Peterborough. Um, it's your most successful season for them by far, and it earns you that move to the championship or 
first division as it was back then. Um, and what do you remember about joining Swindon? Well, just to go back again, a little step about highs. That year, I scored for Peterborough. I scored five in a league game. Yeah, which is still a record for Peterborough. So again, it's another high where it, it's crazy. It's, it's, as I said, I've never had a route in my career where it's middle ground. It's either been fantastic highs or really lows. So it started then from that game, and I played my strike partner at Peterborough that year was Jimmy Quinn. And, and that's where the move started from. I remember we played Hartlepool away um, for Peterborough, and it was nil-nil away from home. And I remember getting on the coach, and um, Jimmy was sat at the front as the players were getting on, and he pulled me, and he went, Kratz, your contract's up in the summer, isn't it? I went, yeah. And he went, don't sign a new deal. I went, pardon? He went, can't say no more. And that was it, okay? And that was on the Saturday. And I remember on the Monday... Barry took training, Barry Fry. Oh, this is a bit strange. Where's Jim? Oh, Jimmy's not here today. Okay, fair enough. And then I think on the Tuesday he got announced as the new Swindon Town manager. And then straight away my head's going, oh, is that why he pulled me? But then Jamie's here. No, he must have done something wrong. Uh, and then I got a phone call from uh, from Jimmy to say, you know, grats, uh, you know, I'll I'm going to try and get you on loan, but I don't think they will. Um, but I'm, I want you in the summer. Don't sign your deal. They're going to offer a new deal. Don't sign it. And I remember Barry Fry pulling me. It was probably around February time, saying, "Grats, we're going to give you a new three-year contract." I went, "Oh, okay." I said, "I'm, I'm, I'm not going to sign." And he said, "Why is that?" I said, "Now nah, I'm going to see what happens in the summer." He went, "You can't go nowhere. You're, you're under 24." You know, so you can't go into Bosman. I went, I can. I'm 24 in March. We knew what? I said, yeah, I'm 24 in March. He went, come and see me Monday with your agent. So I come in Monday with my agent, and he went to like a four-year deal with more money. And in the end, he offered me a five-year deal. Ridiculous money. But all this time, I'm ringing Jimmy up saying, Jim, are you sure you're taking me? Because they've offered me an unbelievable deal for five years. But to play championship football... I'd come, you know, it's not about the money, it's about to play at that level, but I need to know, I need assurances that you're going to sign me. He went, I promise you, I'm going to come and get you. I went, okay. So all this time, I'm having to tell Barry, remembering that Barry's been so good to me with that offer of the deal mm. a few years ago before that, and that I hated lying um, and not telling the truth. And all I kept saying was, I'm going to see what's out there. I want to know what I want. I'll obviously some other offers. So I had to turn down a five-year deal at Peterborough. And I needed to do it. And I'm glad I did because at least I can say I played championship, well, first division football at the time. Absolutely. And that was from Jimmy. Jimmy, he was before my time as a player, except for that little spell where he, where he played when you were at Swindon. But yeah. he was... He was magnificent for, for town just before I, I sort of started following him. But he came and went and came and went again. So I don't I don't quite think he's got legend status, but he had one fantastic season, 87, 88. Um, and he had a real tough job at Swindon. And there's a lot of, I would say, for want of a better phrase, ill feeling towards Jimmy Quinn because of, of, of the way 
town were relegated but I've always been sympathetic because we had no money and and it was it was very very tough but what were your experiences of Jimmy Quinn as a manager it, it was difficult because when I had Jimmy as a as a teammate so the following year he's now the, the gaffer um and you could really tell one one thing I did notice I remember my first day at Swindon Town and I, I'm thinking I'm signing just to make up the squad you know, I've come from League Two. I'm making up the squad. And I remember the first morning, and again, remember this vividly, he walked into the change rooms, we're all sat there. And he's gone, right, uh, George, Endar, Ifinora, Gratz, can I have a word? Okay. So I pulled in. Cook got pulled in the office, and Jimmy sat us three down and said, right, you three are my goals, goals this year. You're all going to play. You're going to be my front, front three. I'm like, oh, okay, thank you. You know, like in shock, thinking, oh, I've, I thought I've got to work on a bit harder to get into this. You know, straight away, he's telling me that I'm going to play. So then he's come back in the room and he's named, he's read out the squad numbers and I'm number 10. Oh, okay. And the old number 10, I think, was Chrissy Hay. And I could see his face drop and he had the ump straight away. And I'm like, oh, my God. You know, as a new player, mm. you're in the squad, in the change room, thinking, oh, no. I've not come here to be like this straight away. You know, let me work at it at least. But Jimmy sort of like, a bit of favouritism really, because he probably knew me from where I played before. Um, and it was it was, it was was awkward at times because he'd always speak to me in the morning, all right, Gratz. And you know, sometimes you just want to be a little bit quiet in the corner yeah. and not make, a, not make a scene. But he'd, I don't know, when some players didn't like him, some of the team, teammates didn't like him because how he was and, but I did. I found him okay because I, I knew him as a player. Yeah. You know, I've shared change with him for years. So that that was that was difficult at times. But listen, you only get one career. You know, he he, he gave me my starts in the championship. Yeah. Who's not gonna take that? It's a fine, you know, and it's a fine balance, isn't it, for managers? Because you you also get managers that change overnight, don't they? So they get their a job yeah, and, and I then that, that happened at Swindon. Don't worry about that. <laughs> well, we'll get to that. I'm just a minute. Like, look, we've already alluded to it from a fan's perspective. I couldn't think of a worse season to have your first crack in the second year. We're looking at bankruptcy, administration, regular defeats, a dismantling of the squad. But how bad? I mean, you've, you've said about pay, but how bad was it behind the scenes? What's it like as an employee of a football club that is struggling that much? You know, players say it doesn't affect you because, you know, you just pay the train, you get paid, but we weren't getting paid. Mm. You know, it didn't affect me as much because I'd come from League Two being on X amount of money to Championship football on X amount of money. So I was like, okay, this is, this is great for me. <laughs> you know, I was I got a decent deal, much more than what I was getting anyway. Where some of these players, and and you you spend your your means, don't you? No matter what money you're on, yeah. you know you spend what you get more or less. And uh, I think a lot of the senior players, it, it did affect them because you get, as I said, paid two weeks, two weeks late by check, and these boys had mortgages. You know, I, I was getting, I had um, relocation money, so I was staying in the hotels in Swindon. So it didn't really affect me. I had no commitments. I had no wife. I had no children. I think all I had to pay for was my car, probably. Nothing else. So, but for them, with wife, kids, mortgages, 
it, it would affect you for sure. And every day you'd come in and a couple of players be pulled in, you know, you might have to go because you're earning too much money. It, it was a difficult time and obviously results weren't coming our way. Um, yeah, you know, it's tough. You could really see on some of the some of the individuals in the squad for sure, definitely. How do you and your teammates try and stay positive, or is it factions at that point where some of you are just like head down, get on with it, like yourself, like you've got no family um, to support and things like that, or do some of them sort of down tools during that time? No, too. The only fractures you get, and it's at every football club, and it's, it's and it doesn't matter whether you're getting paid or not paid. Is if you're not in that starting eleven, mm. yeah, you, you lose your head, and that's happened at every club I go to, yeah. and that's just and that's just us as individuals, as human beings, you know, you want to play the game you love, you're not picked, you're not whistling, unhappy about it, yeah. and and then knowing you're not getting paid or the risk of not getting paid just adds to the fire, um, and that's what you find, mm. you know, the starting eleven, get on with it. Appearance, money, playing—it's okay. But if you're not in that squad, and you're not sure you're going to get paid, and you got to go home, oof, that's difficult. That's a difficult time, and I'm sure a lot of those experience it then, for sure. Parking one nil Swindon Town, thoroughly deserved opening goal. You're listening to the Low Strangers podcast, proudly sponsored by the STFC official supporters club. We'll go, we'll go on to the pitch because it was a heck of a homely debut goal for you against Ipswich. Uh, on Anora flicks it, ping, barring in, lovely. We'll forget about the result, but it was a, it was a great moment because I remember it being on Sky, and we were up against it, and then we just went up Big and scored, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. We were, they were all over us. Is it David Johnson the forward? Yeah. And Naylor, I think, were the two forwards, <laughs> and they were running us ragged. Yeah. You know, really, really, oh, it was embarrassing. And then I think, I think Hawley was it, put a ball up to Iffy, Iffy flicked it on, and I've hit it first time. That's only because I didn't think I had the pace to carry on running. And I hit it so sweet in a, off the bar and in. I think Richard Wright was the goalie at the time. And yeah, that was my first, to score your first goal at the county ground. And a goal like that was, uh, was special, even more special. My dad had uh, cancer at the time and the chemotherapy, and he comes to all my games. And he would come to that game in a stand, and he wasn't well, but he was there to experience that. That was uh, that was a great, great moment, and um, I, I still show my kids that goal. It's the only goal I scored outside the box, I think, in my whole career. <laughs> Certainly better than that Stevenage one in the same goal. So, yeah. yeah, true. That's very true. That's very true. <laughs> it, it, and it really does start well for you because your following game is away at Crystal Palace, and Crystal Palace should be beating Swindon Town, no problem yeah. at all. No facing bingo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. and it's, it's a kick from a corner. Yeah, it's the it's yeah. the it's the closest range scissor kick that you think you'll ever see, right? Yeah, that's right. Doesn't matter. Goals are goal. Matter. Right. Doesn't oh, matter. I'd yeah. I'd lead away. <laughs> Don't you worry about that. I would have wheeled away. No problem. <laughs> yeah, it was a two-one win, wasn't it? Yeah. Clinton Morrison scored the first half, and then me and Iffy scored the goals. Yeah. Let's talk about some of those forward partners because you had some, like Georgian Dyer one of those, he got player of the year during his time at Swindon, injuries were, were there as yeah. well, but I think because time is one of those things, he is one of those players that seems to have been forgotten um, by by Swindon fans, but on his day, magnificent player. What a player, yeah. on it, like you say, that 
that team I, I joined, we had Mark Waters, who was coming to the end of his career, but oh, I'd love to have seen him 10 years earlier because yeah. I thought it was unbelievable when he was with me at 36, whatever he was, 35, 36. And then Jules, Jules, Jules and his pace, he could finish. You know, but unfortunately, like you say, injuries affect, because I think he could have gone, played a lot, lot higher. Yeah, we had some good, good players. You know, Gareth Davis at the time. Yeah. If he didn't get injured, if he didn't get injured as much as he did, he was sick note for sure, Ginge. But when he was fit, that Palace game, that first game, but he was superb at Palace. Yeah. You know, I think it was one of his first games, but he was excellent. He And if he, some of the players we had there, yeah, I think we did finish bottom that year, didn't we? I'm sure we did. Well, yeah, I would have been down there. We would have been well bottom, of course we were. It's the championship year, yeah. But you look, some of the results we got early on, you know, and towards the end of the season, we won a little run at the end of the season as well. We, we, we won a couple. Yeah, it's just unfortunately, it was, we, we lost far too many games that year. And there was some, some real big defeats as well. Mm. Silly, silly games we've lost. And unfortunately, that was down to, obviously, I think I might have been the only signing that summer, if I'm honest. That first year, I don't think there was many other new players. I don't remember any new players coming in. I think you're right. I think maybe in the autumn time, oh, I think Mark Carrick came in on loan. Carrick came in on loan. Williams, yeah, I was in. Yeah, I broke broke my foot again, so I was out. So I wasn't around the squad until more or less the end of the season. Again, which again another downer. You know, I scored two goals. And then that was it. I was injured till I think February, March again, and that's the frustrating thing. I like I got a buzz playing in the championship. It's a funny thing to say, but I found it easier than any other level I played at. Why? Really strange, but I did. Um, I just think they they don't, you know, the balls come up to the front man. You you're not someone's not going through the back of you. They give you that little more little bit more space. I think playing with better players, I'd make runs and I'd be found quicker. Whereas Sort of lower down the leagues, you make a run and they take the extra touch, or they don't see the run you've made. Yeah. You know, when you're with, when you're with better players, you know, it helps. You know, they 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 see your movement. But yeah, that was, I, I, I think I come back towards the end of that year in the championship and, and scored a few goals. And then think, oh, I wish I, you know, I wish I had a full season. I do think I could have scored a, a lot more. I think the majority of the goals you score in positive results for Swindon. I mean, that's what's frustrating about when when you have relegation seasons as fans because you think, oh, okay, it's it's not great, and then suddenly you beat Fulham, and you're like, well, you know, why can't we do this week in week out? But it's just that's football, we isn't beat, it? We beat QPR towards yeah. the end of the season. We beat Fulham. We beat someone three one at home, and all can't remember what oh, that was. You sc- if you scored it, did you score? Yeah, me, I think three Gs, me, Wayne Gray and Griffin, Charlie <laughs> Griffin, Tram, yeah. Tramier, wasn't it? Yes, Tramier, yeah. Yeah, that was an, another win. And then we drew Sheffield United last game of the season, 2-2. Yes, that means only one thing, really, that you are the last person to score a, a goal for Swindon in, in championship level. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> you, are, you are the last goal scorer for Swindon well, in the second right. tier. <laughs> Yeah, right. then, let's talk about that that end of season in the sense that Jimmy Quinn is then unceremoniously sacked right at the end. And like I said, it's got split fans, whether that was harsh or not. Um, but Colin Todd comes in. It's the dawn of a new era. It's going to be. Um, and we, we do the 2-2 draw. So what happens that summer? 
is everybody comes in, don't they? And, and you must have, you know, spent ages learning people's names because there's a proper, proper haul of players coming in that summer. A, an, inf- an influx, an influx and a half. That's, that's the word I'm talking about. So you've got your Alexander, yeah. Kobe, and Duke, Grimmick, Hewlett. Invincible. Yeah. O'Halloran, Van der Linden, loads of players. It um, was it was crazy that year. It was a crazy year. My yeah. worst year, been, my worst year in football, I'd say. Okay, so well, let's go simply. Why? Like all managers, I think people f- like their own players. When players do well and they're not yours that you brought in, a lot of managers don't like. It's, it's an ego thing, isn't it? Yeah. You want your players to come in and do well. Gary Alexander has been signed for, for a bit of money, I think. Was it 200 grand, maybe? Six figures, yeah. So he was always going to play. I think I only played the first couple of games just because of what I'd done last season. And the fans might have gone mad if I didn't probably play. But I knew Colin never liked me from from day one. I wasn't his player. So that was a difficult time of year for me. Because knowing I was going into games and thinking, I really need to score it because otherwise I'm not going to play next week. You know, when you, And when you go into games with that attitude... It, it never bodes well, and it and it was like that for the for the rest of the season. If I'm honest, even when you know with Andy King there, you know bless his heart, and Crosby, Malcolm Crosby, you know it, there was a good atmosphere there. But if I'm honest, me and Colin never saw eye to eye. Never fell out really. Never had arguments. But I was never flavoured a month under Colin. What was he like as a manager though? My one memory is he would walk around a change room with his shirt off and go around punching us in the stomach, asking us if we were ready. I thought that was really strange. Yeah. Um, but his style, you know, he was an unbelievable player. So he was well respected, and you you listened. I was never a player who down tools or never trained well, or you know, I'd always give it everything. And whether I liked the manager or not, I'd listen to his his orders. You know, never really answered back. But he just didn't work. It just didn't work for us, you know. That year, just it was a wasted year. And I look back now and think I had a couple of opportunities to go out on loan. I never took them because I thought I, I want to play for Spinner Town. I know I'm good enough to play. For what happened six months earlier to now, why can't I get in this team? You know, I had Andy King saying to me, "Well, oh, you know, I don't know why he's not playing you, Gretz. You know, you should be playing. You're the only natural goal scorer at the club." And then when Colin did finally leave and then he got a job, I still didn't play. <laughs> he like, she lied to me. <laughs> it's that good cop, you bad cop sort of relationship, isn't it? Yeah, like, really? Okay. That was that was that year of football, you know. Yeah. But I still, the only good thing about that year was scoring that winner against Oxford. Oh, yes. I scored the winner at the county ground. We beat him 2-1. Of course, yes. And well, you came on as a sub, didn't you? Yeah, and, and I, this, is, this is the bit that I got, I was disappointed in Colin Todd. His words to me when I went back in the change rooms were, it had to be you, didn't it? And I won't forget that. Not, well done, boy, you know, it had to be you, didn't it? As if he was disappointed that it was me that actually got it. Yeah. So that's the reason why, I, you know what, there was no need for that. No. But those those were the words he said to me after scoring that winner. And you know what, I didn't care. I went into town, into Old Town after that night because that was fantastic. <laughs> that was an unbelievable game. And it's the first sort of real time I realised the the rivalry. I remember warming up, like fearful of warming up because it was the pure abuse, the police, all down to so many police there. And to come on and score was just, wow, what, what an atmosphere. 
what an atmosphere that was. I think it's probably testament to the derby, really, because it's it wasn't it's never well attended, really. It's never a sellout, but the the venom in 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 oh. those games are are quite are really? quite something. Yeah. yeah, I'll tell you now, my um my wife's from Swindon, so I still come to Swindon and watch games. My father-in-law is a big Swindon fan, and I remember him saying, "If you ever play for Oxford, I will never come and see you." Susie, I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, yeah. isn't it? Because, um, I mean, you're the, yeah. you're the last person to score in the championship level for Swindon, and you are also a member of the last squad that beat Oxford in a league game as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not, right. gone, it's not gone well. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no. That's right. But that was, a, that, was a good, that was a good day. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly was. It was a great day and night. Yeah. <laughs> as Wolves have come, certainly in this half, possibly in the match, and they've given it away to Walters here. Can he finish it off? Allison, Leach, yes, 2 0 to Swindon. Scott Leach, his first goal for the club. Okay, so we, we, we've mentioned Andy King there, and Andy King is a very He's much talked about on this podcast. I've talked to a lot of uh, the Andy King era players, and it's this kind of this divides the people that were fully on board with him, and then the people that you know Andy's unable to obviously um, defend himself. But there were some people that truly just didn't click with him. It was a proper. It's always been a proper split. No one's ever gone in. He's all right. It's always been he wasn't for me, or he was great. I'm going to say he's all right. Yeah, there you go. First you know one. What? <laughs> he always said, oh, great. He, he never, ever didn't talk to me, mm. even when I wasn't in the team. He never dismissed me. Great character. You know, funny, funny man. Always doing kick-ups in his boots, under the laces undone, and always the best player. You know, when anyone's, oh, I could do this, you can't do that. <laughs> but, yeah, Todd, you know, in terms of me personally, playing he never really picked me when but when he said he, he would um when Colin was manager it's always a bit of a struggle um I went on a little run with him for a while playing but I, I can honestly say he was never uh, you know I've listened to some of the podcasts what people have said and and I, I, and I do know that I've seen it I saw it with individuals not great I think a couple of players were treated poorly but in terms of me personally he, he was never he never liked that with me yeah. like me it was morning and another laugh I think you listen he had his favourites like all managers do yeah. you know card school drink. I mean going out having a laugh you know you're always going to get that and he favoured more, some more than the others but 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 the, you know some players were treated poorly I'd say for no real reason the likes of Wayne Cobian one of the nicest blokes you ever meet in football one one of the nicest blokes you meet in football and he was just you know after signing just never really played bless him but never given a reason why. Because a couple of, say, poor performances isn't enough to justify a year out, is it? Not at all. Not at all. And that's, again, this is the industry we're in. Yeah. Your face fits or it doesn't. You know, and, and and the thing is, Andy gets a sex and else comes in, all of a sudden your flavour of the month. That's football. Football's about opinions. If it was that easy and cover it, we'd all be managers. We'd all know how to pick yeah. a team and win games. We don't. You know, this is what England just getting beat now tonight. You know, Gareth was a legend a month ago. 
Yeah. There'll be some criticism in some of the players tonight. It's football, but there's ways of doing it. And I don't know. I think sometimes you don't need to be the way you are. Certain players, you need people around you. Whether you're playing or not, you can still treat them nice and say good morning and stuff, can't you? There's nothing, you know, it's just, it's just manners, isn't it? We'll, we'll end that season by, by wondering how on earth we survived, but let's, let's go to your former employers, Peterborough, because that's where Swindon secure their safety. You're on the bench that day. Peterborough down to 10 men with over an hour left. Um, we're desperately seeking a goal with 15 minutes to go. Are you sat on yeah. that bench going, put me on? I was so frustrated that year because we would be losing games and I still wouldn't get on the pitch. Yeah. And like we, I keep saying again, a, a very low point of my career because, you know, it, I don't want to sound big-headed, but I probably was the only sort of natural goal scorer in that squad that could nick something from nothing. I'm not saying I, I wouldn't say I was a good player, but I could nick a goal from somewhere. And you think with 10 minutes to go, you need a goal. And I still was not getting on that pitch. And that's when you start to wonder, you know, is this the place for me, really? Yeah. Do I need to be here? I don't need this, really. It's, I'm not going to play. If I can't get on... And and that's the thing. If the team were winning, you could hold your hands up and say, yes, well, I'm not playing. You know, well, this team are, are, are far better. Yeah. They should be playing. But when you're not winning games and we're near the bottom of the league and you're on the bench not getting on, you do start to wonder about football and, and the ethics and... Is this really what you want to do? Is this really what the career I want to be in? I do love it, but Saturday afternoon, Saturday nights coming home, and you're not played, is 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 disheartening. It is. Yeah, it must be, especially in that sort of scenario where where we're up against it, and we didn't even use the full complement of substitutes that that evening either, did we? But survive, we did. <laughs> survive, we did. So that takes us to your third and final season. And yet more drama, because just before the season starts, in comes Roy Evans and Neil Ruddock. Um, yeah. Never a dull moment, as they say. You know what I found strange? Going back the year before, I remember we had a chairman. It's a flying by helicopter. Was it Terry Brady? Yeah. It's a flying by helicopter. We thought, what kind of club are we now? We must have some serious money. I think it's when Colin coming. Was, was Terry there with Colin or was that with Roy? Yeah. Yeah. I think, oh, this is a proper club. You know, all of a sudden, helicopters on the training ground. What's going on? You spend in town, we getting paid by check three months before, and now we've got a fellow chairman running coming in on a helicopter. Um, and then obviously, <laughs> it was probably getting charged to the club, which probably made us more in debt. Um, but in terms, in terms of Roy and Razor coming in, unbelievable. One of the best years of my life, my career. Yeah. And the and, uh, and that team spirit we had. It, it was it was it was great, you know. I, I don't think we were a great side, but we had some camaraderie, for sure. Down to Razor being Razor and Roy being training was great. Training was intense, sharp. The, you know, we we went out as, as 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 teammates of an evening as well a lot because of Razor. It was it was good times. I thought, I loved it. I had a great time, and, and to be fair, Roy played me as well. I think we had a free man, free team, uh, free man, front line. Me, Eric Sabin, and Danny, and we've done all right. We, we got some goals. I mean, it's insane to think we had Roy Evans. You know, he he learned his his management skills within the boot room, 
Um, he managed Liverpool. The only other team he ever managed was Liverpool in the 90s. And then he's at Swindon Town. And, and you know, you, you have to wonder what what it could have been had he stuck around. Yeah, I, listen, I've heard some podcasts and some players saying that he was great. Or Again, it's, it's opinions, isn't it? Mm. Football. But I thought it was a great time at the club then. There's a real buzz. Yeah. You know, we had, we had Roy Evans as manager. You know, Neil Ruddock. It was it, there was a real buzz around the place, a real buzz, and I think we got up to probably about six at one time in in the league that year. I think we beat Reading at, at Reading three one, yeah. and I think it pushed us up the table a bit. I thought oh, we got something going here. The, the, it was a real good time, but like everything, you know, Spinning Town, it, something has to happen, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Well, Neil Ruddock. Neil Ruddock is is a funny one, really, because we we see what his, his character's always been like. Um, there was the shorts thing, which was the only mm. thing people talked about at the time. But I mean, he scored that that free kick on his debut, didn't he? And and yeah. he had plenty of worth behind the scenes. Ah, uh, what people don't realise what a player he was. We yeah. saw, you know, Swindon fans saw him at the end, probably of his career, and you know his body shape and shorts and a bit of a laughing stock. But he could play. That left foot of his was unbelievable. And he could really play. Oh, off the pitch, I thought he was, he was fantastic. You know, we talk about team spirit and getting a team galvanised. He did that. I remember one Wednesday, one, uh, it was a Tuesday after training. He used to live in the apartment above me. So he'd come down, knock on the door. Great, fancy coming out. Okay. So we'd go down to the next floor and get Danny Invincible and Bertie Braley because they were downstairs and we'd all go out to O'Neill's and we'll sit there and they'll go let's get the boys let's get all the boys out so we'll text all the boys and within half an hour the whole squad will be in the bar yeah not being silly not being loud just being together and I remember some boys saying I can't can't be out long razor you know a reserve game tomorrow listen if you're not staying out I told a gaffer you're out anyway so you're over here now and you're staying here and and it was like that. It was we were all together. You know, we had days at racing, going out for meals. There was a real spirit within the team, and it galvanised. It did. It was it was great. You know, some probably some players probably didn't like the likes of Razor. You know, I'm sure there's some individuals that didn't, or, or even Roy. But I'll tell you what, the majority did. We had some good times. Really good times. <laughs> you say Roy might not have got on with Razor, even though they were brought in as a package. Uh, you know what? I don't know. It was uh, that's, a, that's a good. I don't know. I, I never saw anything like that, if I'm honest. But there probably were times when Roy was like, "Oh bloody hell, Razor! Seriously, don't take him out tonight." Or you know, yeah. must be something like that. There must be a lot of times, a lot of instances where Roy probably got the ump, but it worked. I think it, I thought it was a great time. That's when and then. And then it, it ended pretty pretty quickly and and remarkably and it was it it's looking back now how remarkable it is really that that king managed to to get his back his way back in but that night he walked back on the coach yeah i think Notts county away i think it might have been it was a friday night i think it was Notts county away and he walked on the coach and there there it really was there was a few players where you know and someone just lets off a balloon <laughs> And it just goes, woof, flies away. And you're like, oh, no, really? Um, some loved it. Some loved Andy. You know, but me personally, after B 
being in Roy's teams week in, week out, scoring goals to someone walking for, on the coach that never really played you a lot and the year before. You're like, oh, no, really? So you were unsure what was going to happen. Um, so that that was a shock. But again, it's been in town, isn't it? <laughs> you, you just don't know. Yeah. You just didn't know what was going to happen. And then, and then your season sort of goes into a play a few, get subbed with about 15 minutes to go, come on. It, that sort of is the theme for the rest of your Swindon career, isn't it? Just, you know, um, yeah, I'd, uh, 20 minutes or half hour, t- one hour and things like that. I had two, I had two sendings off that year as yeah. well. That was a bit unusual for me. It was my only two seasons in my career. That was a difficult year towards the end because Andy was manager. I was coming out to the end of the contract. I think I might have finished top goal scorer that year still, the final year. But for me and Danny, yeah. I think I'd finish more league goals. And you're like, you know, what's going to happen? And I remember being pulled into the office by Andy towards the end of the, right, the, end of the season to be told that we won't be retaining your services. I've got a young kid coming through the youth team and reserves that, you know, it's a lot cheaper than you. Um, plays, plays the same as you. Um, and that was Alan Young, who who I'm still in contact with now. Hmm. Good friends. So, um, yeah, and that was I found it really hard because I just met a girl from Swindon and I had three good years. I, I, you know, I had three years at the club. I loved it there. I had a yeah. good time. And wherever, wherever club you leave, you've been there a long time, you you got affiliation with a lot of friends. I lived in town. I found it difficult. You know, if, uh, you know, and I, I contemplated going at the time. I had a chance to go to Australia to play, and I thought, you know what? Do I cut ties now with football? I was coming to the point where I wasn't enjoying it. The politics in the game. Do I go away? But I thought, no. I just met a young, you know, young girl, Swindon, um, and then I got a phone call literally the day after from Ray Graydon to come down to Bristol Rovers, so I could stay in the area. So it was perfect, really, for that. Had made the run ahead of him. This is White. He's lost the marking. Now Mott! And what joy he will take from that goal! And we'll go back to Swindon later, but let's talk about your post Swindon career because you go to Bristol Rovers for a season. It's pretty productive, to be fair, isn't it? It's, it's, it's not a bad season at all. It started really well. And again, a manager that uh, towards the end of that season, I hated football. I was ready to quit the game. Um, some of the things that went on that year, I, 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 seriously, I still speak to the, the players now. It was crazy. That was it was ridiculous. I've never known football to be like that. What are we talking uh, here? Everything, training methods. Mm. You know, we do seven days a week. Um, I'm a Londoner, so my days off, I'd always go back home. You know, we weren't allowed home. I had to be clean shaven. Yeah. Shirt, shirt and trousers for training. Clean shaven. <laughs> um, I think I went down to about 11 stone two. I've not been that since I was two years old. Mm. You know, the training methods were, 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 were ridiculous sometimes. Some of the sessions we were doing mentally... I've, I've, I thought I was mentally strong, but this is one manager that really did get into my head. Yeah. Really. I'd lost all confidence and I didn't want to be a footballer no more. Totally hated football. Didn't enjoy it. Like the, the time at Swindon, I was. I think I was one of the top goals for Bristol Rovers at the time. I scored a few goals that year and there'd be games where I'd be on the bench. And I'm, no, sorry, I remember playing a game 
and I got subbed after 60 minutes and the fans started singing, you don't know what you're doing. And you know that's never a good thing yeah. when the fans are singing that to the manager. Um, and I remember he pulled me in, a, in, in, I think, in front of all the lads. Said, you know, I don't care what the fans say. I'll make the decisions around here. And I remember saying, well, I didn't tell them to sing it. Yeah. Did I? The not they sang it. I think I got someone in there orchestrating the, the songs. Yeah. Um, and from that moment, that was it. That was in the Bristol for me because he wouldn't play me. I remember one journey coming home from Boston, who were in League Two at the time. Mm. It was nil-nil. And Ray used to come to the back of the coach and speak to the lads. And I was on the back with the lads playing cards. And he went in front of everybody. Grats, how do you think you've done today? Bearing in mind, it was nil-nil. I didn't come on. I said, pardon? He said, how do you think you've done today? So what kind of question is that? He said, well, tell me, how do you think you've done? I said, I didn't play Gaffer. So how do you, how do you think I've done? He went, exactly. Do you know why you didn't play? Because all you are is a goal scorer, nothing else. I remember, I remember saying to him, is this, the, is this the time to have this conversation? Because if you want this conversation in front of the lads, we'll have it. But is this the right time? Should we just not wait till Monday? No, no, we'll talk now. And that was it then. Full-blown conversation. I said, I'm just a goal scorer. I said, I am just a goal scorer. You should know that. That's why I'm your top goal scorer. If you wanted somebody who does everything else, then I'm not your player. And that's why you won't play for me. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> and I thought that was in front of everybody. And then I got told by the assistant at the time to apologise to him on Monday for talking like I did. I went, no, I'm not. I've had enough. And I had a two-year contract at Bristol Rovers. And I left after a year. It was it was a part exchange. And it's funny because, see, my memories of it, because I'm not a Bristol Rovers fan. I'm not I'm not following up. I just see mm. the, the results and the goal scorers. And I remember being sort of frustrated that I could see Grazioli scoring goals because... You were a fan's favourite at Swindon. It was frustrating that you got injured and you fell out of the team, but the, you, you always had fans on your side from what I remember. And My question was going to be about the fact that you moved on a part exchange um, to Barnet. And I was thinking to myself, that seems incredibly harsh, but it's because like you're at a club, you're scoring goals when, you, when you're on the pitch, and then you're told you need to make way for another player. But sounds like the perfect move for you. Uh, I had to. Yeah. It was the be- it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I remember being on holiday that summer and literally talking to my girlfriend, well, my, my wife now, saying, what am I going to do? I, c- I can't go back there. I don't want to go back. I-, I didn't want to be a footballer no more. Mm. What can I do? Do I go back and finish my university degree? What can I do? It was that sort of holiday where I had to contemplate everything. And she said, listen, same what, you know, same what happened, just... Be positive, still football, you're doing something that kids want to be and you're going to throw it away. You know, you can do this. I can't, I can't do it anymore. My mind's, I was mentally gone. I don't want to go back to training. And literally, the, I was in the pool when the phone rang and my, my wife now said, it's quick, your phone's ringing. So I got out and it was Martin Allen, who was the Barnet manager at the time, who literally said, listen, Gratz, the club want to do a deal with Bristol Rovers. I want you here at Barnet. Um, and bearing in mind Barnet is where I'm from as well and I remember saying yes straight away he went but you haven't heard a deal yet I said no I need to I've had enough of football and I took a real big pay cut um, to come to Barnet because I hated football so much I needed to come back home mm-hmm. to friends and family and that was the best move I've ever had it was something I needed at a time and just rekindled my love for the game because if I'd stayed at Bristol, I think I'd, I would have finished for sure. Yeah. 
definitely. Well, Barnet save you certainly, and and you repay them with especially your first two seasons, lots and lots of goals and the conference title as well. So, I mean, it, it must be nice having gone through that sort of injury-played few years and being out of the side because you're just a goal scorer and then being sort of repaid with that faith by Martin Allen and again by Fairclough. Oh, yeah, it was Martin just... I can't tell you as all in all the managers I've worked with I walked on that pitch thinking I was the best I don't know how he did it but I, I, I knew I was the best player on that pitch and I was going to score mm. I wasn't but he just made me think that way it was um, what he done was unbelievable he made me feel so good and don't get me wrong there's players at Barnet that hated Martin and even now if you were to do a podcast of Barnet players they'll say on a terrible time terrible time but hand on heart he was for me unbelievable he just did say we do training and he'll tell people do this do that and he'll come to me and say Gretz just do what you do just do what you do I don't have to tell you nothing just do what you do and I thought wow he's really entrusted me you know to do this and it somehow it just worked it just uh, it just delivered and that was just down to here. He mentally got into my head in a good way, in a positive way. Really like, unbelievable manager for me. And then, obviously, Paul come in later on that year. Because I felt, I felt I was shocked when Martin left to go to Brentford. I was disappointed. The one man that, you know, got me loving the game had left to go to Brentford Football Club. Yeah. Um, and then it was Paul Fairclough. And obviously, that link with Stevenage again. Um, and he changed... He, changed my game the training methods massively I wish I'd worked with Paul years before if I'm honest yeah. some of his training methods he, he introduced to us back then and what people are doing now and yeah we, we went and won the conference which was fantastic My really the first thing that I've ever won and when you've played week in week out and you actually win something it's, that is a real achievement That's, and I've only, only experienced it once properly um, and it, it was you know great wonderful year and I have to mention it because it's a Swindon podcast but you you played in the game with Swindon's uh, not so great penalty shootout yes I come on a sub yeah, I remember it... coming on the sub that day it was a cup game and I remember coming on and was it semi field I remember Paul saying Gratz I know it's not your role but just sit on don't let him get on the ball and I think for 20 minutes I just ran round in front of 10 minutes he won't get the ball that's all I did and then it was a penalty shootout, and obviously we'd won. You didn't need to, um, you didn't need to take a penalty. Didn't need to, no. I wasn't <laughs> even on the list. I, was, I don't think I was on the five anyway, to, if I'm <laughs> honest. But I remember, um, yeah, that was yeah, that was interesting. I remember my first game back at the county ground, though. I got a great reception back. Um, I think you won. Oh, I don't know who scored. It was a fantastic goal for about 30 yards on Friday night, I think it oh, was. wasn't the Royce Brownlee one, was it? 2006-7? Yes. Yeah. Yes. My first game back, I remember coming on, um, and I got a great, great um, uh, cheer from the town end. I thought, God, this is a proper, you know, Swindon Town Stadium is a proper stadium. You know, you, you still got the, the the big stands, and coming back there was 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 great. Mm. Um, but I remember that goal, Brownlee, yeah, God, what a finish that was! Right at the end as well, like. That's right. Yeah. Kick of the game. That's right. Stuff. One nil. Yeah. Lovely. Um, and then 
sort of post-career, you, you, you've dabbled quite a bit. You've worked with Martin Allen as an assistant. I remember you being assistant manager to Laurie Sanchez at Barnet as well. You've done scouting and you're an agent now. So, yeah. I mean, is, is it still full-time in football or...? No, I'm... Um... My Monday to Friday job actually head of sales for a technology company. Yeah. Um, and the agency I started as just a little sideline just to keep my fingers in football. You know, I love the game. I like giving advice to, to the young pros coming through. Um, so I go to games every Saturday, Tuesday nights, usually Monday night, whatever the games are on. I'm always at a fixture usually. And that's just really just to keep my fingers in it. But at the moment, it's, it's going really, really well. I've got a few good players. Um, and I just love that buzz. You can't, you, you can never replace that buzz yeah. in football. Um, I don't know if it's a good thing because I sit in the stand and and you get all the adrenaline still. But it's my sort of fix. I've got, I'm, I'm fortunate. I've got a wonderful wife who allows me to do this on a Saturday and games during the week. She knows I enjoy it and need it. Mm. It's a bit like it's probably a cigarette addiction. You know, sometimes these people you needed a cigarette just to get you through, and I need my my experience as a football match. Yeah. You know, just the, the, the smells, the, the the noise. You know, when you've had that for all your life, yeah. it's, it's, it's I need. You know, it's just something I do and I, I love it. I love going to games. It's funny because I talk to a lot of ex-pros where they, they don't really like watching football anymore because of that. They're on the, they, they can't be on the pitch. Sort of, they, they yeah. get quite frustrated, don't they? So it is like, it can go either way in that respect as well. It is, it is. Don't get me wrong. That's why I said I said earlier. I don't know whether it's a good thing that I go to it. Yeah. Because maybe so I get my 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 days where I'm a bit down because you know you you I watch football now and the game's changed massively to when we played. Um, and there's some players earning some serious money who are nowhere near good enough to some of the, compared to some of the players I played with. Mm. Um, and that breaks your heart a little bit. You know, think were we five, ten years too late? Don't get me wrong. I don't think if if I was around now, I won't I won't I won't play at the level I did nowhere near. Because now it's just pure pace. Mm-hmm. There's pace everywhere. Um, but I just I do I, I enjoy those. But I, I do get a buzz going. I do. I, I'm probably one of those that do enjoy going to the games and seeing faces, seeing the old teammates who are coaches now and or scouts or agents. You know, football's a circle when you still bump into people when you still talk about those games and those moments and those nights out and you know you'd like I like reliving the stories and and that's why I do it you'd be surprised who's that game now that you bump into yeah so other than Alan Young who are you still in touch with Swindon wise uh, Alan Reeves yeah just a bit Reezy Ginge <laughs> Danny Invincible yeah they're sort of really the main ones uh, other than that Dukesy every now and then I'll speak to Dukesy um, I'm trying to think who else no, no, that's really it, really. Well, before we close, let's get some let's get some Swindon stories out there. So, um, firstly, what are your lasting memories of Swindon Town? Oh, uh, who's this going to? <laughs> um, <laughs> my lasting memory of Swindon Town, uh, I've got to say, meeting my wife and 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 my my in laws now. You know, it's a part of my life that as I said has been a link throughout my career. And now post-career, you know, I go to about three or four games a year. That's been in town still. Go down every other weekend. and It's always nice coming back. You know, I had good times there. I did have really some really good times. 
Um, and it's nice coming back to the crowning ground and seeing the odd game here and there. I still pay for tickets, by the way. I never ask for freebies. Yeah, I, I, I've got to say that, really, because if my wife listens to this podcast, <laughs> she'd expect me to say that. Let's talk I can't, about... I can't say... I, I can't say D and D and long, long, but you know, a bit, a bit out of order, don't you think? <laughs> but those, those between me and you, that would be the best, the best memories. Let's talk about that dressing room then. So three seasons, three dressing rooms, almost a complete overhaul at, at, at times. Who were your, uh, who were the most talented players? Who were the most frustrating? Anything, anything that you have really? Yeah, in terms of individuals, uh, I, I've got to mention Reevesy. I remember from day one when I signed in the championship, I remember walking in and saying, right, you're with me. I'll look after you. I thought, who's this guy? And he, he was brilliant. He was a real character and we've always stayed in touch. Um, he was a player. He went through a bit of swing. And every summer he got told yeah. to leave and you're not going to play. But he ended up playing 40 games every year. But we had, he, he looked after me my first year and, and, and remained you know, good friends. In terms of player-wise, football ability, the likes of George and Dar, you know, he was he was a player on his day. Danny, even Danny Invincible on his day could play. You know, his pace was frightening. But then you, I remember watching games like James Milner and Carrick coming in. You know, you, you could see they were going to be good, good footballers. Yeah, you know, good, good, good players. I thought you would pronounce it invincible, but you're an invincible as well. No, he's always in, invincible. No, he's the, he, he, never, he never said it as invincible. Oh, man. When I, first, when I first saw him, I thought it was invincible. He said, no, no, invincible. Well, no, he never called him invincible. Oh, see, I got plenty of stick from um, some of your, your ex-colleagues on invincible. Um, seems that I was wrong. No, he's invincible. Always <laughs> invincible. He, I remember a few fans singing Danny Invincible, invisible every so often and all. <laughs> That was a funny one. <laughs> oh man! Well, what we like, hey? Well, that was brilliant. Um, it's 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 one of those conversations, really, isn't it? And it's one of the reasons why I love doing this podcast because you're quite right. I've spoke to more than enough players now that say, you know, behind the scenes and just as a lifestyle, football's a graft, and it and it's not it's not all what it what it what it seems, isn't it? Oh, listen, this we love it. Speak to proper footballers. I think players of this generation now aren't your proper footballers. They've got everything laid out for them. It's all there. They're getting paid ridiculous amounts of money. Speak to the Scotty Leeches, you know, of this world. Garrett, you make proper footballers who lived and breathed football was their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the turmoil we went on through Swindon, you know, their wives uh, and, and mortgages, etc., and kids. It's tough. It's tough out there. It's a real tough industry. And if you're going, if you're not playing uh, one, one, one week and the next week, a new manager comes in and you're playing, it, it affects you massively mentally. Yeah. You've got to be mentally strong in this game. And, you know, luckily there's a lot more with that going on now. People have taken note. But back when we were playing, you know, there was nothing at all. Yeah. Are they doing nothing enough? to help us. Sorry? Are they doing enough? But now, yeah. if I'm honest, no, personally, only from my experiences, I think the PFA were, were awful for me. Um, apparently now there's more funding, but at the time when I needed help, they weren't great at all. Mm. Um, and I see all, all this, seeing 
PFA doing some great work. For me personally, they were awful. Mm. And I put that down to I wasn't a big name player at the time when I had my troubles, yeah. my issues. I think if I was a big name player, same would have been done. I was left alone. I made a phone call saying I needed to speak to someone. And this went on for months before I got anything back. And the only reason why they called me back was because my wife had called them to say, you need to call my husband because I think it's not right. And it took my wife to call them. They didn't call me. Yeah. If my name was Alan Shearer or Peter Crack or whoever, I'm sure I would have had a phone call. It's insane, isn't it, when you think there's 92 professional clubs above the uh, the conference, uh, the National League line and... What thirty players, you know, a squad, and and it really yeah. was a case back then of if 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 it's a risk to PR and things like that will help you, but everyone below the line, top ten teams or whatever, then you've got to, you've got to man up or whatever those phrases were back. It in is the day. is and it's little things like uh, I read the PFA were doing uh, deals on cars, Mercedes cars. I remember calling up the PFA saying, can you give me some more information about the deals for like, professional footballers? Mm. He went, oh, I'm sorry, Giuliano, um, it's only for premiership players, the discount. And I remember saying, well, these are players who don't need a discount. You know, yeah. they get given their cars, so why is a discount only for these, you know, surely all the quirks and all the discounts should be for players lower down the pyramid who need that little bit of help. Mm. The, these premiership players don't need help financially yeah. if they looked after their money properly but all the discounts are for them it's, oh, it's all wrong I think, the, I think the PFA is all wrong I'm not a fan <laughs> clearly um, but you, you, can, you, you, you can use your experience though to see any telltale signs with guys that you mentor as well so I suppose that's your way of, of, of making things better in just where you can that's, that's, that's my that's my pitch when I sit down with players. You know, I don't have the glossy brochure. I don't have the premiership players and and everything. But what I do have as an individual, I've experienced what you've experienced on the pitch, mm. off the pitch. I know what goes through your head when you're not playing. Uh, I've been a manager. So I know when to pull your manager, what a manager will say to you. I can give you all that experience where some of these agents out there have never played the game. Mm. Yeah, but they've got a flashy brochure and, and business cards and all this. If that's what you want, fine. If you want someone who's been there and done it and will tell you honestly um, or go through his experiences that he's been through and you can look at my career and like you've mentioned, it's highs and plenty of lows. That's proper football. It's not always what you see and read now you're going to experience these moments. And I've been there and done it, so I know where you're coming from. I know there's days where you come home from football and you, you might want to sit down and cry. It's all right, because we've all done it, I've done it. You're not alone. And that's what I offer these players, that experience. Yep, I've never played in the premiership, but some of these agents have never played the game. And you're you're putting your career in their hands. Why? Because what? Because they've got contacts. Is that why? And that's, and that's the pitch I tell the players, these young kids. I've what been is- through, and I've come through non-league. I've not been with a silver spoon I've come from lower levels I've been at university and and did it that way it can be done yeah 
that sounds that, that that's brilliant and and it's great that you know you are of a small percentage of people that have managed to play in the football league it's it's not it's not simple you've done it you've 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 experienced even if it's in short bursts though you know absolute stardom and that's what it was in in the late 90s it was it was well, remarkable and and you you've come out of the other end you know with with experiences which which is incredible really and such a shame to hear that and you hear it a lot now people are talking about like the wrongs that the industry has made in all sorts not just football as well but I mean you can still look back in your career and know there's at least three teams where you can go every week and you will get the warmest reception which I I, can be better than and than any medal really oh you know I love it and even and that's why I like coming back to Swindon because this, the same individuals that are working at the club are still there now. The pro, the program sellers outside the ground, you know, outside the players' entrance. It's the same people, and I walk past and they still remember it, be it on four stone heavy or whatever it is. <laughs> they still rats, you know. As the fan, you know, you can't buy that, as you say. Yeah. You can't. That's the bit. And I'm I'm fortunate that I had a good time at Swindon. I didn't set the world to light, but luckily I, I was liked by fans. For what reason, I don't know. Because as I said, I didn't. There was no Sam Parkin, there was no Tommy Mooney, but I've always had a good rapport with, with supporters, and that still continues now. And I, I love going back, and especially I got with, with my kids in tow, you know, walking to the games, and someone pushed up, oh, crats. And I can see my kids' eyes sort of light up because they don't realise who I was or what I did, you know, even though I've got my paper clippings and, and, and VHS videos of my goals. I still don't think they realise I did actually play the game. Yeah. And it's only when you take them to the games like this and someone stops you and they talk to you that they really you go, oh, actually, yeah, it might have been good, Dad. Just because I'm not on a, on FIFA, I don't know who I am. <laughs> well, Giuliano, that was amazing. Thank you very much. No problem at all. Anytime. Below Strangers is proudly sponsored by the official STFC Supporters Club. The music was created by the great Matthew Kilford and the artwork was provided expertly by John Daglish. Thanks for listening. Hi, Ellis Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs, like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant, like Darren Ward. Or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hold up. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.